0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to a milestone episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews along with news and opinions on the television industry. Now, the reason why I'm calling this a milestone episode is that Across the Airwaves has reached 20 successfully produced episodes. which is a great thing for us at this website, and we're really excited. And, once again, I'm your host, Dan Schmidt. And with me is a guy who enjoys nuking fairies in the microwave.
1: My co-host... Hey, everybody. It's Nico. On this week's episode, we're back to a full schedule of reviewing the episodes of Chuck, Castle, Bones, Fringe, Smallville, and Supernatural that aired throughout the week. And I've got a little TV news for everyone. Not much in the way this week for TV news, but I did find a Hulu video that interviews our man Nathan Fillion behind the scenes on Castle for Hollywood 411. The video can be found under that title, Castle on the Set with Hollywood 411 on Hulu. In this video, Nathan Fillion describes the show's keys to success and fun work environment while Stana and Tamalia Jones who plays Lainey, the M.E., verify Nathan Fillion's deserved wreck as a prankster on set. We all know he's the fun-loving guy as Castle, but we'll see also that he is the fun-loving guy just himself as Nathan Fillion. So check out this video, have a laugh with him, and see why this man is one of our favorites here A.P.A. At also, Annette O'Toole, who you all remember, played Clark's mother, uh, will be co-starring on an upcoming episode of Lie to Me playing a woman with Alzheimer's disease, that Dr. Lightman needs to help remember her life and something important from it. I didn't get all of the details on what the episode was about, but it sounds like a great episode that will use all her skills as an actress. Those of us that love her from Superman in Smallville will enjoy her appearance, and I look forward to showing up on one of my favorite shows outside the ATA viewing area. If you're not watching Lie to Me, maybe this is the episode for you to check out.
0: All right. And with that, I've got some quick movie news on two movies that we will probably be discussing on podcast episodes this summer. Basically, the news is is that the trailer for the Green Lantern movie, which should probably get most of you Smallville fans out there excited, has been released on the Internet. You can check that out on YouTube, probably Apple.com, and a variety of places. Also, there's been a trailer released for Jon Favreau's new movie starring Daniel Craig, who we know as James Bond and Harrison Ford, who we know as my childhood hero, Indiana Jones. Their movie, Cowboys and Aliens, the trailer has just been posted for that too. And I saw that today in front of part one of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. So check out both of these trailers. They're really cool. They've got a lot of well-known actors, of course, in it. And I'm excited for both of these movies. So give the trailers a check out, and we're going to move on to Chuck now. So let's move on to Chuck with the episode. Chuck versus the fear of death.
1: Chuck aims to impress by attempting a dangerous mission. Meanwhile, Casey and Morgan try to protect Jeff and Lester from the truth when they snoop around to find out Greta's identity.
0: And I'm going to start out my discussion on Chuck by saying that Monday night, it was kind of rough for me when it came to TV watching. Because I really thought I got to a point where I could kind of predict how the audience I watch TV with on Mondays would react to certain things. But this week, I don't know what was going on. Maybe there was something in the water, but I was totally off. And many times I really felt like I was the only one in the room laughing at some of the jokes. So I guess with that, Nico, I'm kind of going to leave things up to you after making my points on our Chuck and Castle discussions. To tell me if I've kind of completely lost my marbles on Monday night. Or I was just kind of sitting with a tough crowd. I don't know what was going on. It was a really surreal night. And maybe you can help me figure out what happened, Nico. So, focusing in on this week's Chuck. I know you, Nico, and other fans of the show that are out there. were a little concerned about Chuck's mom taking the intersect out of his head. Because, you know, you're worried it's going to hurt the show. And based on that note... I think it might have not been the best idea for Chuck's mother to be the one responsible for him losing his intersect abilities, but I do like the idea that the intersect was only suppressed in this episode instead of totally taken out of Chuck's head. And the reason why I personally like this idea is it makes Chuck struggle to get the intercept back a mind over matter situation, similar to kind of one of my favorite comic book stories. Spider-Man issue number 50. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Which has a plot line very similar to one of my favorite movies, Spider-Man 2. Plus, through the writers taking this approach towards this story, they make Chuck losing his ability almost a necessary evil to prompt Sarah's belief, which she declares in this episode, that Chuck is not a spy. With that being said, I don't know about you, Nico, but I think Sarah's belief that Chuck is not a spy needed to come out because I think the only way their relationship can reach its full potential is by Chuck and Sarah seeing each other as equals. Kind of like what is going on with Lois and Clark's relationship on Smallville. Also, Adam Baldwin as Casey, his incredibly well-crafted facial expression when Sarah declared Chuck is not a spy totally sold me on the fact that Chuck's frustration over Sarah kind of saying he's not a spy was sort of a masculinity thing. And I really felt for Chuck on that. Speaking of Chuck wanting to look macho in Sarah's eyes, this desire, I think, was enhanced by one of this week's guest stars, Rob Riggle, who played kind of an extension of his taser-loving character from The Hangover named Agent Rye, to a little too much fun eating Belgian chocolate and watching Chuck stare in the eyes of death to get the intersect back. By the way, I loved Agent Rye's Star Trek Vulcan death grip gag in the episode. That was
1: amazing. Where'd you learn how to do that? Star Trek. Star Trek, really? No, not really. Bangladesh. Meditative transing. The secret is mind over matter.
0: And honestly, that connection... Between Agent Ryan and myself over Star Trek, made me sad to see him go when he was suddenly and shockingly killed by this week's villain, the Belgian. Oh, I bet I know how he likes his waffles.
1: Belgian! Yes! Yes! I love your humor. So disarming.
0: Another thing about Ryan's death scene is his belief about Chuck letting Sarah go kind of got me really excited for the rest of the season because it reminded me of some of our favorite examples of the hero's journey, which includes Empire Strikes Back and Avatar The Last Airbender, which we had three podcast episodes about. And in fact, this episode, in my opinion, was almost just like Avatar, with Chuck's suppressed abilities causing issues with Sarah, being similar to the situation that Egg, the main character of Avatar, went through with his love interest Katara after he was severely injured by one of the show's big bads, Azula. Moving back to the buy War, we've been kind of describing Jester's appearances throughout this season as a game of battleship, with hits and misses every other week. But this week, I felt we had a hit through them stalking Adam Baldwin's Firefly co-star, Summer Glau, who happened to be this week's Greta. And in my opinion, what made this a hit was what nerd wouldn't want to stalk Summer Glau. Again, most of us who are more in the Chuck-like nerd department settle for saying that we want to check her out in person due to a minor thing called a restraining order. However, as Jeff and Lester discover in this episode, the penalty for stalking Summer Glau in Bimoria is almost being terminated. At the same time, Greta, attempting to kill Jeffster, River Tam Reaver style, if any of you can catch that Firefly reference, not only prompted a hysterical lie from Lester, We got a thief.
1: And... I need a change of trousers.
0: But it also led to some character building for Casey, as he decides to accept the members of Team Bartowski and the Bybor crew as his friends. With him even going to the extent of telling Greta That he works with this is the best damn
1: spy team in the world we are strong so do us a favor don't let the door
0: hit you in the ass which the writer of this episode claimed to be an allusion to firefly which is awesome because the people behind chuck are actually browncoats and with casey's storyline in this episode we got another reason to simply love mckenna elvin as his daughter alex through her being able to function as the character ...that Casey can confide in... ...without seeming... ...totally completely out of character. Finally, at the end of this episode... ...Agent Rai's death... ...causes Chuck to be captured by the Belgian. And now, using a variation... ...of my good friend's favorite line... ...on the show... ...it's time to unleash the Sarah... ...as she and the rest of Team Bartowski... ...head off to save Chuck. And with that leading to next week's episode... I hope that Ellie will be involved with the story because I think she's going to be the one that mentally helps Chuck with the rock that's suppressing his intersect abilities. By the way, the fact that I believe Ellie is not only going to help Chuck restore his abilities in a mental capacity, I formed the crackpot theory that the intersect in the back of the Mustang that was given to Ellie by her father might be for some other purpose or for someone else. So with that crackpot theory, I'm going to throw things over to you, Nico, with your thoughts on Chuck.
1: I actually love this episode of Chuck. I was the first to complain last week about the loss of the Intersect and thought this episode was going to suck because Chuck was going to go out there and face a mission without the Intersect and fail, which he kind of did. But in reality, he also succeeded because he proved that he could do quite a bit, like you were saying, even without the intersect which I believe was your major point last yes. week. Yes, I think next week's episode could be a huge hit or it could be a complete miss with Sarah going all commando to rescue Chuck. Or and less Rambo. Yeah, <laughs> or at least Rambo, which could be awesome or just ridiculous. <laughs> we will see. As for the, your response to this episode, I don't think you are the problem. If you're the only one laughing at the jokes, and maybe it was the people you're watching it with. Okay. I was having a good time, and I loved Rob Riggle's portrayal as Agent Rye. Now, those listeners out there who are saying, who is Rob Riggle? If you're trying to place Rob Riggle, he is best known as a Comedy Central Daily Show correspondent. And is actually a real-life hero, because he is or was, I'm not sure about his retirement status, a lieutenant colonel in the United States Marine Corps.
0: That's awesome. Yes,
1: he is a real U.S. American hero. And he's also in The Hangover, The Other Guys, Step Brothers, and a whole host of other comedies. Yes. If people were not laughing at his character in this episode, I'm sorry to say, Dan, they don't have a sense of humor because this guy is hysterical.
0: Well, him eating the chocolate alone. Oh uh, yeah. Hilarious.
1: He plays that absurd straight guy where everything he says is hilarious because he says it with a straight face. Yes. Like
0: hey, uh, are you sure I don't need a disguise? Hmm. Someone could recognize you
1: as CIA. Come after you with a knife. <laughs> that would be great. Also, Jeffster, I agree. Total hit this week. Okay. It reminds me of season two where Chuck used them to stalk and to uh, follow a person of interest i don't remember what the, the context they was do that was
0: shaw season three too
1: was it shaw that they were doing as well i'm not 100 percent about shaw but i know that they used him very successfully in uh season two to follow someone and i think it was an, a female and that's why they were so good at it, yeah because you know they're they're pervs but no it was great and uh to use that and that i think it was an intentional throwback to what they were used for previously, that they did it in-house, and that was kind of cool. And I did love Casey standing up to Summer Glau, or Greta, and telling her that Team Bartowski was the best damn team in the country. And that was great, because not only did it show that Casey had made that transformation at the bequest of his daughter, that he kind of set down roots and not push everyone around, or away, That he also really kind of bought into the idea that this was a great place to work. This was a great team. And I love that because it's what we all know and we all love about this show. And now Casey's kind of buying into that too. So that was great to see.
0: Yeah, it makes it fun. And I think that gave us even more of an emotional punch when Chuck was taken. And we got why these people wanted to go after him and save him. Because he brought them all together. And essentially with Casey, he gave him that life. He gave him the opportunity to have those feelings towards people. So he really owes him one just as much as everyone else does that's going to go after him and try to save him.
1: Not only that, it shows the transformation in Casey. Because season one, he hated the assignment of looking after Chuck. He thought it was terrible. It was a waste of his skill and a waste of his time. And he felt that The only reason he was doing it was because he had orders to do it. Now he's going after him because he's a member of his team and he's a friend. Not only is he a member of the team, but he's also a friend. And he knows that Chuck would come after him and has. So now you see that it's much more than it ever was before, especially now. And that's why they're going after Chuck. I mean, obviously, Sarah loves him. Morgan is his best friend and Casey is his teammate, but more than that, Casey actually has friends now, which I don't think he's had since he went and became Casey.
0: I totally agree with that. And one more thing about his scene, I loved it how he and Summer Glau both growled at each other. It was a nice throwback to Jane's relationship with River. Those are the characters that Adam Baldwin and Summer Glau played on Firefly, and that was a nice throwback too. So that was fun. And I'm glad that of all the people they could have got to do this with, it was fun that it was Summer Glau. Yeah, Summer Glau
1: is, is great. I'm actually surprised that we don't see her more often on television. I know she was playing the Terminator in uh, the Chronicles, but since then I haven't seen that much of her, and I'm, I'm actually surprised because I think she's a fine actress and commits to the roles, and I loved her as River Tam. So I'm a little surprised we don't see her more often. And this might be the start of seeing some more of her on television. So that that's a good thing.
0: Well, I have to say, it was a sigh of relief to me that you agreed with me on this episode. Because I don't know what was going on at my house that night, but it was like, I don't know if they didn't get Agent Rye, or it was hard to watch how it ended. I don't know what it was, but I'm glad you and I are the same wavelength, and I'm glad you thought Jeffster was a hit this week. Because, you know, yeah. I think you really deserve one from Jeffster.
1: Yeah, I... I have to say that I don't think it's you and I that are the ones that are off here and thought that something was funny and nobody else did. I think it's the other way around, that the rest of your viewing party either didn't get the inside jokes, didn't get humor because maybe they're not familiar with Rob Riggle, but I don't think that's it, even that. Yeah. I think it they just weren't in a funny mood that night, I guess.
0: Yeah. Now, the other thing I want to throw out there is, what do you think of my crackpot theory? I mean, I feel like LED's needs to be involved in this storyline.
1: Yeah, when he comes back from being captured, which might happen next episode, I'm assuming that that's going to be the case. Yeah. It'll be only one episode where he's away and captured. At the end of the next episode, he's going to need Sarah, and he's going to need his sister to help him recover from that. Because if he's... Actually, suffering from amnesia, his sister is going to be instrumental to helping him remember his past. And Sarah is his rock, both in the situation of the intersect being in the not working and in the sense that she is the foundation of their relationship, that the woman that he loves, everything that ties him back to uh, being a spy, and everything like that. So, those two women are going to be huge in his recovery yeah. for this capturing. So Ellie's going to have to play a role. And I, I like the idea that maybe that intersect is going to be for someone else, but I'm not sure who I want that to be.
0: I also think that it might have a different function than what we've seen with Chuck. Okay. I don't know what that could be, but I mean, the person I'm seeing is Ellie, and it's going to do something besides letting her be able to pick up information or yeah or I be don't, able to do I that don't like
1: through. the idea of Ellie becoming entrapped in that not entrapped but brought into the spy world. I think she's okay. a great outside, outside character, character. Okay. yeah and if she's brought in there could be trouble. I could see an instance where Morgan would be it would be awesome for him yeah but at the same time a lot of his charm is from being that awkward guy. Yeah, that guy that doesn't fit in the team, but does because he's Morgan. So <laughs> I don't know where I want to see that or how I want that to play out. But it's a good idea. We'll, we'll see where that goes.
0: It just seems like what's the point of having the intersect in the back of the car when it's not totally gone for Chuck? I feel like he's going to get the intersect back in a completely different way now based on what we saw in the episode with him overcoming this rock.
1: Maybe it's an update. Maybe okay. it's 3.0, where he gains new skills. It's an option, a possibility, who knows?
0: And I'm also thinking that there's some ulterior motive as to why Chuck's mom removed the Intersect. It's like a training thing.
1: I'm not sure. Maybe his mom didn't want him in the life, and maybe if Volkov thought Carmichael was dead and the Intersect was no longer in his brain, she thought Chuck would give up and not be a spy anymore. Okay.
0: That's a good point, so too. I could see that. Maybe happening.
1: she was doing it as a protective measure.
0: Okay, because she wants him out of the life.
1: Yeah, she does not want him risking his life, does not want him to be a spy. She wants him to be there for Ellie yeah. and Baby because, obviously, she's not going to be able to be there for them. And so she wants Ellie to have family. And if Chuck's a spy, he could die at any time and not right. be there for her. That so makes all that's, sense. Yeah, that's my idea.
0: Also, other thing, you think Chuck will have the intersect back at the end of next week's episode?
1: I don't know. That might be too much plot development for one episode. It might be that he gets rescued next episode, and in another episode, yeah. he gets the intersect back.
0: I we mean, we could see both. I think it's possible because you know something has to happen that pushes him to it snapping back into gear. Right. So I feel like it's going to be to stop a villain, but it's going to happen in a different way than him facing death. It might be someone else facing death that activates it. And he needs the intersect to save somebody. And that's what. I think on. that's
1: what's going to happen. I think that's a perfect idea. And I think it's going to be Sarah. Yeah. And the only other person it could be is Morgan. Oh, yeah. It could be either of those because he loves Morgan. I mean, Morgan is his best friend since before. Well, and he they were, him. They've been friends forever, so he loves him. Loves him as much as any two friends can love each other. And Sarah, he loves romantically and is starting to develop a more deep romantic love with her, too, that is leading, ultimately, we think, to the marriage route. And so either of those two could elicit the emotional response necessary to get the intersect back.
0: Well, and Morgan, he helped Chuck through all those ties where the parents left him. Yeah. You know, he was there for him. I know we haven't seen a lot of that, but that's a big thing. And also, if he's having this amnesia thing, or they're taking his memories away, it seems like we're going to get a little bit of a trip down Chuck memory lane next week. So we may get to see some of those periods of time with Morgan next week.
1: Now, do you think they're going to hire two actors to play kid Chuck and Morgan again, or are they going to just go back to and make the two of them look younger in the, the scenes?
0: I don't know. It could go either way. Okay. It, it really could. And it depends on who he's going to be there for when who left. If it's the mom, it's going to be a kid. If it's the dad, they could get away with maybe them just being younger. Okay. Sounds good. So anyway, we're going to move on to Castle now with the episode entitled Close Encounters of the Murderous Kind.
1: In this week's episode, Castle's latest theory is alien abduction after an astrophysicist's death is found to be from explosive decompression. A well-known alien abduction expert gets involved in the case. To complicate things more, a government agent wants to shut down their investigation.
0: And with this episode, Nico, I was kind of like how you were with the episode last week. Mm -hmm. I was a little more, I would say, to describe this, I was a little more on the fence with this week's Castle. Because I personally loved all the sci-fi X-File references. But I did not think it fit kind of the universe of the show or its primary audience, which I hate to say are like the people in my family who randomly decided to stick around one night after Dancing with the Stars, and they ended up getting invested in this show. Now with me saying that, you listeners out there are probably thinking that I'm making this assessment based on my family's reaction to the episode. However, after paying a visit to the website, TV by the Numbers, I was pretty much sold on the fact that that the Dancing with the Stars audience disliked the sci-fi theme of this episode, through Castle's ratings reaching a season low. Which I was kind of sad to see, because I love this show and I'm rooting for it, and it was interesting that the sci-fi x file stuff on this episode really turned off people that much. Although, despite all of you who get a thrill out of watching Kyle Massey shake his butt, what I enjoyed about this episode of Castle with Stan Yacanek's performance. I don't know what it is about these episodes where Beckett gets extremely frustrated over Castle's wild theories, but it enhances all of the humor that we've come to expect from this show. And in my opinion, and I think it was more with just this episode, it made her appear as the older sister having to deal with her zany younger brothers, which of course are Castle, Esposito, and Ryan, who all had their funny lines and zingers. But I think the best zinger in the episode was Beckett's line about the picture of a probe in this alien abduction book she was looking at, resembling the Lego I got stuck up my nose when I was six. I don't know what it was, but that line cracked me up, and I thought it was great. And it was also the one line that my tough audience I was watching the show with laughed at. Speaking of the book about alien abductions, this is kind of a little tidbit about the episode. Its author was played by Lance Hendrickson who is most well-known for playing the synthetic or the android bishop in the movie Aliens. And moving on, the whole scene where Castle and Beckett were abducted by aliens who turned out to be government agents might have been a little over the top.
1: I'm not asking you to dye your hair red and call me Mulder.
0: But I could not help myself from laughing at Nathan Fillion's reaction to the situation. And it was great how Castle used his interrogation to grill the agents that took him about various government conspiracies. But sadly, as he announces later in the episode he also refused to confirm that Jago Hoover liked to wear dresses. Plus, what really put the icing on the cake on the abductions were the tranquilizer guns that the government agents used to knock Castle back Beckett unconscious. Because it left what appeared to be a hickey on both of their necks, which created all kinds of comedic trouble At the precinct. It's not a hickey, Esposito. You both have one. I wish it was a hickey. It's from the injectors. Is that what the kids are calling it these days? They were men in black. It was also a nice touch to have the mystery of this episode connect to Castle meeting Ashley's parents. If you don't remember, Ashley is Alexis's boyfriend. And how Castle meeting the parents connected to the story was through him having a phone call with Beckett about aliens that makes it appear as if Castle... Looks a little crazy to Ashley's parents. But in the end it turns out that they were fascinated by him. And wanted to join his camping trip with Alexis. Which really kind of is to Castle's dismay. Because now he's going to have to put on the song and dance of impressing Ashley's parents again. Focusing on the mystery for this week. It had me invested pretty much up until it was revealed that this week's murder victim was killed by a Chinese spy being tracked by U.S. government agents. Because it seemed highly unlikely that NYPD cops would stumble upon this type of case, let alone be asked by the government agents to help with it. At the same time, the outcome of this mystery was also somewhat disheartening to me because I felt like I personally jinxed this show and myself by praising it for having mysteries that stay within the realm of reality, instead of fantasy, on last week's podcast. Plus, the other issue with this week's mystery was the fact that it wasn't made clear how this week's murder victim was physically killed by explosive decompression. In my opinion, I was expecting a scientific explanation pulled out of Bones' playbook, or the writers are going to call you Nico, but instead Beckett just pointed at a machine and said, there's the murder weapon which kind of made it a little unclear to me. All in all, this episode, in my opinion, would have been much better if it aired during the week of Halloween, because all the speculation at the end of this episode, such as Lyle Lovett's character not being able to give the name of the government agency he worked for, and the whole thing with him pulling Beckett off to the side at the end of this episode, made it appear more, to me, like the writers were dropping the ball instead of giving a playful nod to the X-Files due to the fact that we've come to expect the weekly Mysteries on Castle to kind of be tied up in this nice, neat little bow. And it didn't happen here. And to my audience, I always watch this with They Dropped the Ball. And I also think if a show is going to consistently tie up a mystery every week, it needed to do it here. I get what they were going with, but, again, it just didn't fit this show. So, again, Nico, you may have a different thought on this, but we're going to hand things over to you and just see what you thought about this episode in general.
1: I was not on the fence about this one at all. I liked it, and especially how the one time it might actually be the CIA, or at least the government, that did it. Castle isn't even proposing that theory this time because he's claiming alien abduction. Ah! (laughs) No, I loved it. I loved how they worked that. I loved the way they made it all work out in a believable way. I think it was believable, and I'll explain why in a little bit. But using the international espionage to make it all fit together actually worked for me. I really enjoyed the X-Files references, and it felt like an X-Files episode to me. It really had that X-Files feel on this episode of Castle. I did not feel let down like you did by the writers at all in this episode. In fact, I really enjoyed the way they made it all fit together. I was surprised when you said that this was the lowest rated episode of the season because I did not think it was that much of a departure from traditional castle form. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about here. Now, you said that you were a little confused when Beckett just pointed to a machine and said, there's the murder weapon. Well, that was actually set up because, remember, they were talking about the possibilities of what could cause explosive decompression, and everybody thought it was the machine at the lab where they were studying the effects of outer space in a compression chamber or a decompression chamber but they also if you remember ryan and esposito were supposed to look into the what else could cause that and they mentioned and you might have missed this little thing they were sitting in the squad room and they said it could be a packaging device and they said okay we'll run down where all those are and they ran down a list and there was like a 112 in the area and they were like well there's no way we're going to be able to search them all and they walk in and they see one of those devices and she said i bet that's the myrtle weapon so it was actually led up to and they did talk about it so there was no direct link there and they didn't get the forensics on it or anything but that's not castle they do the me's forensics sometimes on the body but they don't really do all the other forensics they just reference the lab or they reference the lab results coming back it's not a big part of this show so i was okay with that
0: but again i mean they put it in there and that's good and i'm glad you caught that but should they have made it a little bit clearer i don't or know made that it was... apparent that it tied in i just i think that was vague and i think they're even though they don't go to the lab i think they're a little bit more clearer about it
1: yeah maybe but i mean they did identify what type of machine it was i'm blanking on what it was called and then as they walked in one of the detectives said that's a packaging machine and she said that's our murder weapon so i think that they did effectively establish that i felt like everything kind of tied together now you raised an interesting point about if it's a secret government agency why would they have the nypd involved in it and my only explanation for that is they needed manpower to okay. do this raid. And the NYPD was already barking up that tree, so they figured we might as well bring them in, not explain everything to them, but give them enough information just so that we can give them a, whatever the cover story might be or you know, make it seem plausible. But once we capture him, he's going with us. And so if it is actually espionage which we are led to believe then that's what happened and the nypd hands it off to the state department and the state department takes care of it so it all worked for me in my mind there was no problem now my favorite scene of the entire episode was the scene right before and right after beckett and castle were abducted when as you put it so wonderfully they got their hickeys (laughs) yes that (laughs) was a great scene they're sitting in the car, and the first thing that Beckett says was, did that really just happen? Okay. <laughs> I had to smile when Beckett said that. And it was a great scene, and I loved when she looked at her neck, and she's like, ah, oh, I'm never yeah. going to live this down. and Because we all knew what she was thinking, and then, sure enough, the next scene, they're back in the squad, and <laughs> Ryan and Esposito you know, yeah. are giving her grief about, I don't know, it looks like a hickey to yeah. me. So, I mean, that was
0: great. Yeah, and that was a great moment.
1: Did your viewing party not at least laugh at
0: that? Yeah, they did laugh at that. The deal with this is, and this is why, I mean, I had an issue. We get that X Files sci fi kind of thing. We've watched all of most of the X Files. We get all the sci fi jokes. But I hate to say it that this is what it is, but the majority of the audience are people who aren't well versed with the world of the X Files. They're, I would say, an older audience, but. You know, they're those people that watch Dancing with the Stars, and one night they happen to stuck around and watch Castle, and they enjoy it. They're more like the audience who would watch CBS, those shows that exist more in reality, or the Law and Orders, and things like that. And I felt that this episode fit this audience. And, again, I kind of think I took the approach of this episode as a scriptwriter. I would have been nervous about turning in a script like this if I was working on Castle. Because when you write a script, you're trying to get as many viewers or as big of an audience as you can. And I would have been leery sending this in because I realized that their audience isn't mainly people who have watched a lot of sci-fi shows. That's what Castle originally started out with having because all of us Firefly fans went in there and supported Castle. But I hate to say it. And again, I totally respect all those people that turned Nathan on because they loved him from Firefly. That's what I was. But the majority of this audience, what got it to the huge scale that it's at now, is that Dancing with the Stars audience. And I hate that a reality show is responsible for that. But you're kind of in a position now where you have to tailor the show to that audience. And so that's kind of why I had an issue with it was I felt like it was a bad move on their part to do it, I guess. So when that I'm- happened, and I, it just took me out of it, I guess.
1: See, I would disagree and say it's the exact opposite. Okay. This is a nod to their true fans, their hardcore fans who are the guys like you and I who have been with it since the start and really love Nathan Fillion for who he is and what. not only is he Castle to us, but he's Malcolm Reynolds, he's Captain Hammer, he's all the characters we've watched him before, and this is a nod to that. He threw out the greatest thing, which I can't believe you didn't mention, was the reference to Firefly when he spoke Chinese. (laughs) It was amazing. He's just like, oh, it's just this show I was into. I was (laughs)
0: like, yes! (laughs) That was a great, yes. Yes. So
1: I think this whole episode was a nod to those of us that get those inside jokes, that get those little references, because the rest of this season has been very much like you've said, and why it has been very successful for everyone is that it has been towards that wider audience. And that's why this season has probably been its best season ratings-wise. This took a little bit of a nosedive, but maybe they expected that because they still know where their original fans came from. And they have to give us something like this every once in a while to keep us from losing interest Yeah, where you and I won't lose interest because we love the Castle characters so much. But some of the people who are looking for a little Malcolm Reynolds every once in a while or something Firefly-related will start to maybe lose a little bit of interest or get tired of the same old, same old if they're getting mainstream-focused episodes. This was kind of, like I've said three or four times now, a nod to us. And I liked it, and that's why I was okay, even after you uh, turned me on to the numbers being low.
0: Okay. Nico, I think the great thing about having you here on this podcast is I agree with you. You're right. I just, I guess it's how I was programmed during my time at Columbia to forget that I'm a fan sometimes and I'm glad that you're here to remind me that I can still be a fan. To not forget about that. To remember that this is, yes, I mean you have to worry about audience and business and all that stuff, but sometimes you just need to have fun with this. And Nathan Fillon as an actor is a great reminder that you need to make this fun sometimes. And I think that's what they did with this episode. And thank you for making that point here on the show, showing both sides of the fence or both sides of the spectrum that there's a business way of thinking about it. And that's kind of how I went in this episode. And you went the fan route. And I think Mm -hmm. if I look at this episode from the fan route, it was a great episode and I enjoyed it. So thank you for opening my eyes and reminding me that this is a nod to where it came from. And drawing me back to my roots somewhat.
1: No problem, man.
0: So that's kind of where I'm at, and I can see that. And for those of you that are sci fi fans out there and enjoy this episode, more power to you. So, anyway, we're going to move on to our discussion about bones with the episode The Babe in the Bar.
1: On this week's episode, the team is called to Walpert's Chocolate Factory, the site of the world's largest chocolate bar, when it turns out there's more than chocolate in the bar. Elsewhere, Cam is disturbed when Michelle chooses a college whose reputation is not for academic excellence.
0: This week's episode was a prime example showing that this show has avoided the sixth season slump by the characters and their interaction staying fresh and enjoyable. And with that being said, I need to take the time to thank our president, Barack Obama, for taking Hannah out of the country for this episode. It made things a lot better, and I want to appreciate your contribution to preventing David Boreanaz and Emily Deschanel looking like buffoons for a second week. So thank you, Barack Obama. We salute you here and Across the Airways from saving us from Hannah Payne. So thank you.
1: I muted my mic, but I was laughing out loud over here.
0: (laughs) Good. I'm glad you laughed. That was scaring me. I said that and I felt like crickets were chirping, so thank you. Glad you're laughing. Anyway, moving into the story, this week's episode started with a skeleton found in the world's largest chocolate bar going
1: Hello, Newman.
0: As it is discovered by Jimmy Walpert, a chocolate factory owner played by Wayne Knight, who is most famously known for playing Newman, Jerry's nemesis, on Seinfeld. With that being said, Newman was not the highlight of this episode. That title went to all the chocolate jokes created by the fact that this week's murder victim suffered what I like to call death by chocolate. On that note, I would have to say my favorite chocolate joke in this episode was the scene where Sweets was eating a giant chocolate bar in front of Booth, declaring that he's not going to let a murder victim prevent his love for chocolate. If we don't face and overcome unsettling events in life, we are ruled by them. I'm not going to let some ruthless killer destroy my enjoyment of chocolate. It's not going to happen. I love chocolate too much. And although as much as I enjoy the chocolate jokes, I was still a little disappointed that we did get to see Hodges perform an experiment with chocolate. Especially when, I think it was Cam that went to Hodgins and said, figure out a way to melt the chocolate, and oh man, this is going to make a mess. And when they said, oh no, this is going to make a mess, I got excited and we didn't get it. So that was a disappointment. But I think they made up for it somewhat with Hodgins, with a plotline revolving around him wanting to announce that Angela was pregnant. And everyone already knew. So it was funny seeing the characters trying to keep it secret from Hodgins. Plus, on top of that, doing a chocolate experiment might have taken time away from the king of random facts, Vincent Nigel Murray, who returned from his trip around the world, which from the sound of it was pretty wild and crazy. However, what amused me the most about Vincent Nigel Murray in this episode was how all of his random facts related to questions he answered when he won a million dollars on Jeopardy. And I was also glad that the writer of this episode alluded to the fact that even though he might sometimes come off as annoying, we actually do learn something from VNMs. In other words, Vincent Nielger-Murray. I think he deserves that title because I think he's as cool as NPH, Neil Patrick Harris. So we're going to call him on the show VNM. And even though he does come off annoying, I actually feel like we do learn something from his random fact. Milton Hershey, who had great success spreading chocolate amongst the masses, was also a... Drumroll, please... You're not gonna do it myself. A Quaker, huh? It's actually, sort of interesting. While this stuff was going on in the lab, Cam once again got in a fight with her daughter over which college she wanted to attend. And as expected, this plotline was just like any other argument that Cam has had with her daughter throughout the course of the show. But at least we got another sweets giving advice scene, which to me are always enjoyable. And another thing about Cam's story in this episode was that she ended up blowing off Sweet's advice by surprisingly sending applications to the school that she wanted her daughter, Michelle, to go to. And Hodgins catching her red-handed in the act makes me wonder how all this is going to end up playing out. i interested to see. As for Bones and Booth in this episode, they spent most of their investigation on the skeleton found within the chocolate bar. And having a comic debate over when it's the proper time to use the word yowza. Okay, you know that whole yowza? I think that's really not necessary. Finally, at the end of this episode, Booth ducks out of the party where Hodges is going to announce Angela's pregnancy, leaving Bones to lie to their friends so he can be with Hannah. And thankfully, we didn't get to see Hannah. We were saved from bad acting, so that's great. And in my opinion, Booth taking this course of action is significant, To his relationship with Bones because I think it gives her a very strong signal that her surrogate family could potentially split her off and go separate ways so with that kind of concerned feeling about the characters going separate ways what was your thoughts on Bones, Nico?
1: Another Hannah Free episode mostly but I'll get back to that in a moment Thank
0: you, Barack Obama
1: Yes, thank you very much This was a fun episode, and I was waiting for a Newman reference. Oh,
0: I know the Chunky that left
1: these Chunkies. But sadly, never got one. Although, that was made up for by Hodgins shutting down VNM with a nice little, I'm king of this lab statement. I loved that. I loved it, and I knew you'd love it too. I had to give it to you to mention
0: it, because you love it so much.
1: I do. King of the Lab is a great Ongoing joke, and it ties back to one of our favorite characters who's no longer on the show. And and it's moments like this that we remember Zach and remember him fondly. Now, remember a few weeks ago when I said that Hannah's character was ruining these other characters and making great actors act like buffoons? Well, when Booth didn't go to the announcement party despite knowing what it meant to Hodgins and Angela just for sex with Hannah. He was not being true to the great Booth character that we love. Selling out his friends for sex with Hannah, especially since they can do that any time or even afterwards, was not yeah. consistent with the Seely Booth character that we love. I hate that this damn Hannah character is what she's doing to one of my favorite TV shows on right now, and especially to one of my favorite heroes, Seely yes. Booth. Am I completely off here? Am no. I imagining this stuff? Because I don't like this character, and I don't like what she's doing to my actors. At least we didn't have to see the terrible acting this time, like you said. But somehow she's still wrecking my
0: show. This is the thing, though. I think one of Bone's arguments is going to be, or one of the things that may push her into being with Booth, is that Hannah is making him a different person. That she's making him not into the man that he once was, and the man that she believed to be a hero. So I wonder if that's what they're going for. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that. I don't know if that's the right course of action, but I'm wondering if one of the things that's going to make Bones kind of break her blockade on letting Booth in might be Booth losing himself in his relationship with Hannah, if that makes sense.
1: I understand what you're saying, yeah. I'm just hoping that sniper comes soon.
0: (laughs) That sniper, I tell you. That sniper is going to be like your favorite character. He is. He's going to
1: be awesome. <laughs> yeah. But now that I'm done with my bitching, <laughs> this was a great episode other than what I've already said. And I like that they could identify her post-mortem burp by yeah, removing it cool. from the chocolate with a giant syringe. That was cool. And they were able to analyze it and get an idea of what she had been eating. And they were able to link it to the champagne. That was really awesome. The entire idea of encasing a body in a giant candy bar that was really inventive, and each week yeah. the writers continue to impress me with their creativity and inventiveness in creating new and interesting murder mysteries. That's another reason why we love this show, Oh yeah, that and the amazing characters, obviously. This was a great episode. I've never seen another show where someone was encased in chocolate.
0: I'd be able to get away with it without it seeming absolutely ridiculous.
1: Exactly. I'm trying to rack my brain and I, I had been all afternoon trying to think of another episode where they, something like this had happened and I couldn't come up with one off the top of my head. So I'm fairly certain in there saying that been. I have not seen this.
0: Yeah. Well, at this show, I mean, there's been a lot of murders that's been unique mm-hmm. that they've done. There was one where, was it the bones rotting as they were trying to solve the mystery? Yes, that, that was, was one. That was one that was interesting. Give me this chocolate bar. There's been a couple of things.
1: The whole Grave Digger
0: yeah. thing
1: was cool, too.
0: Well, the Grave Digger plotline, that's just outside. Yeah, it's, it's one of the best. Of now, what was your thoughts on Cam's whole side plot with her daughter? I was kind of getting the sense that you weren't going to like that very much.
1: You know, I didn't. I'm used to it because it's classic throughout television that... Parents who are highly successful want their kids to be highly successful, too. All parents want their kids to be successful, but sometimes parents who are doctors or lawyers or businessmen, very successful businessmen, they push their kids in an unhealthy way or they demand upon their kids in an unhealthy way that they do everything because that's what they want the parents wanted in their life and they're projecting onto their kids sometimes you see it in an opposite situation where the parent character came from nothing and had to make themselves and so doesn't want their kid to make the same mistakes so doesn't want their kid to have to work nearly as hard and so you see them emphasizing education so it's a classic theme in television i was just disappointed that we didn't learn anything from it because we seemed to learn something from it and then cam went behind the girls i'm forgetting what her daughter's name is in the show michelle behind her back and started submitting applications to georgetown and some other good schools without her permission while to her face lying and seeming like she was cool with the other school so yeah Um, i didn't didn't care for it
0: i just like sweets giving advice
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I love <laughs> Of that. course.
1: I love that Sweets gives the right advice, and nobody ever pays attention to him. I know. And I loved her response. Oh, I'm going to go talk to a kid about raising a kid.
0: Yeah. It
1: was great. They never give him any respect, even though he, he's a very huh. valuable member of the team.
0: Hey, I would be Sweets' friend. If I had a problem, I'd go to that guy in a heartbeat. Yeah. Again, he's kind he of only like pissed. us. Go ahead.
1: Uh, he picked the wrong field of medicine. Yeah. And it's the, it's the only field of medicine I have no interest in.
0: Well, maybe he could be your buddy and help you if you got some girl <laughs> issues or whatever. That might work. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but this episode was so good. There wasn't a whole lot to cover. Are you good with moving on? I am. I am. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to move on to another great part of this Thursday night. Both of and shows were running at full cylinders on Thursday night. So, we're going to move into Fridge with the episode The Abducted. <music>
1: On this week's episode, On the Other Side, Olivia tries to handle a series of kidnappings with connections to Colonel Broyles while turning to a hidden ally to find a way back home.
0: The amazing thing about Fridge as a series is that every time this show seems to plateau, it ends up raising the bar. And this episode, like the one last week, raised the bar, in my opinion, to another stratosphere. On that note, I think what made this particular episode is and I cannot, I absolutely cannot believe I'm saying this, but Anator's performances seem to be getting better, effectively making this show a sci-fi juggernaut that should not be messed with in a dark alley by anybody. And Nico, you might think I'm off my rocker on this one, but I think the scene Olivia had with Colonel Broyles' son, who was a kidnapping victim of this week's villain, The Candyman, might have been Anna Torf's best performance of the season. Again, I might be off my rocker, but that's how I felt. Based on this notion, what made this scene, this episode about a child abductor who steals his victim's youth, such a home run, was the fact that it involved Colonel Broyles. In my opinion, Broyles in both realities is this very proud man. and seen him struggle with failing to bring the man who hurt his son and blinded him to justice. Really just sucked me right into this episode. And really put me at the edge of my seats. Until Broyles blasted the Candyman in the head. At the end of this episode. And another great thing about this show. Is it's ability to take a character on an epic journey. Within just 42 minutes. Which I think this journey happened to great effect in this story. By Colonel Broyles starting out the episode. Being completely loyal to Walter Nett through the bond of their sons, both being kidnapped. And then the episode ending with Broyles being indebted and almost loyal to Olivia for saving his son's life. And by Colonel Broyles telling Olivia that she has his eternal gratitude, he means it. Because I firmly believe that he, along with Charlie, are going to play this huge part in getting Olivia back to the other side. And continuing on this wavelength, Olivia's relationship with Carl Broyles, how they began to trust each other at the end of this episode, was not something I saw coming, but I totally bought into it because it derives from what the heart and soul of this show is. A story about a father's love for his son. Another vital result of Olivia gaining Carl Broyles' trust is the fact that her looking like a hero to the kids she rescued made me actually start to care for her character. Because... Years ago, I fell in love with the character of Dean Winchester because of the extreme links he was willing to go to to protect innocent children in this Season 1 episode involving a creature called the Striga. And this episode of Fridge had the same effect on me with Olivia sacrificing her chance to go home to end up saving Colonel Broyles' son and stop this psychotic kidnapper that was doing some pretty horrible things to children. Finally, at the end of this episode... Olivia manages to travel back to our reality, where she briefly interacts with the janitor on Liberty Island, before she is yanked back to the other side. From here, we end up going to Peter's apartment, where he receives a phone call from the janitor, telling him that Olivia is trapped on the other side. And, oh snap, things are now on like Donkey Kong, between our French team and WalterNet. And I cannot wait. For the next episode of Fringe to come because this is what we've been waiting for Nico this is what we've been excited for and it's coming soon we just gotta wait through our Thanksgiving dinner and we'll get this great Fringe so I'm looking forward to it and we're gonna throw things over to you Nico so you can share your excitement with us
1: did you really just say it's on like Donkey Kong Yes. Because unfortunately, Nintendo just trademarked that expression, despite it being used in the general vernacular for the last 10 years. They have been awarded a trademark, and now Dan and I are going to have to pay Nintendo royalties. Oh wait, we don't make any money, so <laughs> I think we're okay. Sorry Actually, just I, just I just saw that, that they were awarded a, a trademark earlier this month, and I thought it was funny. Anyway, now on to what we're supposed to talk about, Fringe. This was a great episode again this week. You're absolutely right. And you're absolutely right about Anna Torov being, dare I say, excellent in this week's episode. Wow. I wasn't going to
0: go that far. I thought you were going to jump out of my computer and slap me. Yeah,
1: That just doesn't taste right, saying that.
0: I'm imagining you going through that whole process that Ace Ventura went through when he found out that Lois Einhorn was a man. Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is a man! Oh my god! Einhorn is a man! <laughs> yes. That's what you're doing right now when you said that.
1: <laughs> but she was actually really believable this week. The storyline grabbed me and wouldn't let go. I was hooked yeah. from the first scene to the last when we saw Peter as he realized that the woman he was sleeping with was not his Olivia. I was hooked from the moment we saw that Candyman character all the way through. It just didn't let go. No. And I hate that we don't get fringed this week. Oh, and I yeah. have to wait another week to find out where this story is going, and another week after that until we're back to the other reality. Can I really say that I'm more interested in where the other side story is going than I am our side? Yes, I can. That is how great the writers have been this year. They've got me more invested in the other side than I am even our own side.
0: How did they do that? These guys are incredible. I mean, really, these guys are the premier sci-fi writers on television. They're giving Galactica a run for its money. Battlestar Galactica, they had some heck of an episodes. But this thing, whoa. I've never been this excited after a TV show has ended. I was ready to just, like, burst. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah, I was really wishing that I was watching, like, four weeks behind so I could just go on to the next episode. Unfortunately, that's not the case, and I have to wait two weeks to even see what's going on. And three weeks, if you want to know what's happening on the other side, that's just... Ugh! It's too much.
0: (laughs) And actually, the ratings for the show went up this week, by the way. So... People are catching on that this is a big show.
1: I'm surprised there's anyone left out there that doesn't know about Fringe. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. And despite our constant negative attitude towards Anatora, this is two weeks in a row we've actually said that we were, dare I say, impressed. Yeah. And we got to give her kudos because we've been saying that she was the one reason why this show was being held back. And now that she's... As you said, improving week by week, we're getting to the point where we're probably not going to mention very often our noticing something that we didn't like about it. And I think that that's going to make this show jump even more. Perfect. It could, yeah.
0: I always thought that it wasn't going to happen because this would make this show too good to be true. And now it's happened. And now I think that's why I'm so excited about this. Cause it's like Absolutely. a switch has been flipped and now it's like even better. And we talked ad nauseum that maybe they couldn't fix it or there wasn't a way to fix it, but this alternate reality move, I think it fixed it.
1: I have to totally agree. And then I love the fact that at the beginning of the season, you and I were debating whether or not we thought this alternate reality was going to work. And you were on the other side and and did not think it. And I love the fact that you've come back and said, no, this was amazing. These writers are awesome. And the way they've done it is perfect because it is a testament to them that something that usually most times 99 out of 100 does not work. Jump the shark. They have totally made it gold. Yeah. And that in itself is a testament to these guys as you said, possibly being the best sci-fi writers out there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, really. And again, you've said that Broyles was kind of a flat character. And here he was great too. Yes, we got that
1: needed backstory. Now, we don't have the needed backstory on our Broyles, but on the other side's Broyles, the Colonel Broyles, we have seen into his backstory. And now we have something that we can latch on to to root for him. Because, as you said last week, he is an honorable man, and I think I made the point that he's following orders because he's a good soldier, but now we see that he's more than just that good soldier, and now that he owes Olivia, we're going to see a change in this character. And I think it's going to show him more into the character, and we'll infer things about our side's broils from that, because I think up to a point, they had very similar backgrounds and backstories. So we're going to see a lot about our Broyles and Colonel Broyles in the next couple episodes because I do believe that you're right, that he's going to play an instrumental role in helping Olivia come over to our side.
0: Yeah, and the other thing is I think with his son being kidnapped that he's going to see what Walter is doing is wrong. Just through what happened and kind of what he learned in this episode. At the beginning of this episode, Broyles didn't think his son was really strong and could handle it. And as we saw at the end of this episode, the son, I think more than proved that he could handle it. Yeah, he did. And I think that's going to make Colonel Broyles sympathize with Peter too, when he comes looking for Olivia, which I think is going to happen. I think that they would have yanked her back if Peter's not going to go to the other side after her. Don't you think?
1: No, I've been saying from the beginning of the season that I think that maybe at this mid season finale is when they're going to make that move to come over to the other side to come after her. But I'm not sure how the new Olivia or Bolivia is going to fit into that, whether they're going to take her prisoner or they're going to force her to come back or how it's going to work.
0: I think she's going to die. I think she's going to sacrifice herself or she's going to get killed or she's going to kill herself. Cause I just think there's a very strong reason as to why Olivia is the only one who can travel between realities and not Bolivia.
1: And you're afraid if she goes back to the other side, they're going to use the information that they gleaned from our Olivia yeah. to make Bolivia capable to come over. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that makes reason why she couldn't go back.
0: Because I'm still on the fence that Bolivia is an evil character. I mean, I know she's done some bad things, but I don't know if she's fully evil. I think Walter Walternet's fully evil. But the fact that she seems like she's got a good relationship with her mother... Bolivia does, and her team cares about her, there's got to be some sort of good that they've seen within her to have that relationship with her, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. And right now she's just acting as the good little soldier on the other side. I know I keep using that term, but she believes that the orders she's getting from the top are good orders, and she has no reason to doubt her superiors. So when she gets orders to do something, she thinks she's doing what's best for her reality. And so she's not a bad character for doing that or a bad person for doing that. She's an alternate reality hero. Well, so there are definitely characteristics of what makes her good. When Olivia had Bolivia's memories and her instincts and her abilities, she was still very similar to the same Olivia character. Yeah so we know that there is good in both so it's definitely she's not a bad evil character uh, she's just on the wrong side from our perspective
0: but i think on this episode we got olivia's instincts
1: oh yeah once that illusion was taken away once she realized who she was i think a lot of her memories started coming back and i think that that's what that Vision of Peter was acting as it was her link to keep her memories. And the more he talked to her, the more her memories started to take over. And that's why the FBI thing came out in this episode where she said, I'm with the FBI, and ultimately gave herself away to broils because kids asked her, What's the FBI? And so I think her instincts and her memories are still there. Now, I wonder if she's going to become a terrible shot again. Or uh, she'll retain that ability from Bolivia.
0: I don't know. I mean, I think there's going to be traits that are going to be kept from both. But this episode, I don't think the Candyman would have been stopped if it wasn't Olivia's instincts driving it. And I think that's what made her acting worked, is we understood why she is necessary. It almost forced them to have to bring it out because, yeah. and them trying to establish differences between. Olivia and Bolivia, they gave us reasons to like Olivia, I guess, through her being a hero and caring about the kids and things like that.
1: Yeah, and is another reason to praise these writers because we were ragging on the fact that we hated one of the three main characters of the show. And through their use of the alternate reality and the switching of the characters, we've grown to actually enjoy and understand Olivia and actually start rooting for her again.
0: Yeah. Can't give these writers enough credit. And really, if you guys out there that are into sci-fi or just enjoy good TV, check this show out. It's great. And I really think it deserves Emmy nominations depending on how this season ends up. But this is just great quality television right up there on the level of Lost and some of the great sci-fi series that have been on in the past 10 years and even beyond that. So really check this show out. It's great. And so speaking of that, Nico was referring to Fridge as a show that's gold. We're going to talk about another show that's reached gold right now. And believe it or not, it's 10th and final season, Smallville with the episode Patriot.
1: Oliver signs up for the Vigilante Registration Act to learn what's really involved and discovers that it's a ruse so that a team led by Colonel Slade can trap and test persons with superpowers. Meanwhile, Arthur A.C. Curry returns to fight back against the DRA and Clark confronts his extreme activism.
0: With this week's Smallville section, I would first like to start things out by thanking all of you who joined us for our live show last Friday night. It was a really great time and a lot of fun. But it kind of went a little on the long side. So in response to this issue, Nico and I thought it would be best to go over some of the key points of the live show that were made on the episode Patriot. For those of you who aren't really the biggest fan of listening to a long podcast. However, if you are a huge fan of Smallville and or Superman, I would recommend listening to the live show because it's an entertaining and somewhat humorous retrospective on the past 10 seasons of the show. And Nico and I, and our guest host Michael J. Petty, who we want to thank for being a part of the show, really make some great thought-provoking opinions on Smallville and what's come before. So really check it out. It's a great time. Moving on to the points that were made in the live show, all of our audience members in the chat room came to the conclusion that Patriot was a solid Justice League story with a bunch of heroes splitting off in different directions to take down one big threat. However, even though this episode hit the epic feel of the Justice League dealing with the crisis right on the money, we still felt that it needed more action. At the same time, Nico, our guest host Michael, and some of our audience members felt that the lack of action was justified to save money for an epic superhero showdown in the finale. I also mentioned the fact that I thought this episode Patriot and an upcoming episode Icarus was structured as a two-part story with the final showdown against Slade that we thought was going to happen at the end of this episode going down at the end of Icarus, where Hawkman is supposedly supposed to die. Again, despite the lack of action in this episode, there were two things that really stood out from a story standpoint. The first was Clark finally taking initiative to stand up as leader of the Justice League. With Oliver supporting the fact that the world needs Superman through him taking the dangerous risk of citing the Vigilante Registration Act. And the second was Lois going to extreme lengths to be a part of Clark's life by tracking down the Justice League in Florida and confronting this week's villain, General Slade, who was played wonderfully by Battlestar Galactica star Michael Hogan, who played the character of General Ty on Battlestar. And in my opinion, I felt that Lois wanting to be a part of the Justice League was a breath of fresh air for a character that's been around for 70 years. Because in the comics, Lois and the world of the Justice League normally remained separate. And it was nice to see these worlds merge to fit the theme of Lois and Clark's relationship being based on them being equals. Going back to General Slade, Alisa Lee, one of our audience members and a contributor with an email on one of our previous episodes, mentioned a concern about Slade's villainous actions in this episode, portraying the United States military in a negative light. Luckily, Nico swooped in and justified this issue by mentioning that Slade being controlled by Darkseid, which was made apparent by him having an Omega symbol engraved in his skull, kept his actions from reflecting poorly on the military. Speaking of guest stars, Aquaman returned in this episode, and our live show audience felt that he was darker this time around due to having the weight of being King of Atlantis on his shoulders. For me personally, what I liked about Aquaman's return was how his relationship with his wife Mira helped Lois see her purpose is to ground Clark by reminding him that he's not invincible, which effectively made Aquaman and Mera, the wise men characters of this episode. With Mira, his beautiful queen beside him, he'll fight with all his might till the end. And through Lois using her newfound self-discovery, she forcefully encourages Clark to not be afraid to ask for help. This, in turn, inspires him to bring Lois to the Watchtower, where he reveals to her, along with Tess and Oliver, that a darkness is consuming the Earth. Pushing Clark one step closer to becoming the hero that we all know as Superman. And with that, Nico, I want to get your thoughts on Smallville.
1: To keep my opinions on this episode short, and because you've summarized the long live broadcast fairly well, I will just mention that the fact that I thought this episode was good, not great, and that I was surprised by the lack of action in this episode, were my two major points of the episode. We discussed in the lead up to the episode that we thought it was going to be very much like the Absolute Justice episode, but we didn't really get that. We mentioned ad nauseum about this on Friday, but we had a problem with the action sequences, mostly because the audio editing was done poorly and the music and the sirens of the main action sequence blocked out the dialogue of the episode and made it very difficult to understand. This was unfortunate because there was some importance to the things that Clark said to Slade. Now, despite these issues, we all agreed Friday that we thought the episode was good, just that it did not live up to our own hyping of what we thought it could be. Essentially, this episode will be seen as being important because Clark took his place as the leader of the Justice League, and Lois became a part of the team, officially, and she was introduced to the Watchtower facility. That alone was why this episode was important to the overall storyline.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think this episode was a part of the storyline. It did lack the action, but it did what it needed to do to push the story forward.
1: And the one thing I forgot to mention was Michael J. Petty absolutely loved the Mara character. Yes. (laughs) And he will be hearing about it from his girlfriend.
0: Yes. Yes. (laughs) Which was yeah. it? Was a quite hilarious part. Of it took up the live like show.
1: twelve minutes of the actual live show. We were talking about which people thought that she was gorgeous or hot or whatever we want to say, and uh, who didn't. And Elisa Lee was happy that we got to see Clark without his shirt on. And <laughs> no, it was it was just uh, us having a lot of fun that night. And uh, really, if you if you get a chance, check out the live broadcast when it gets posted. Or if you really want to see it right now, you can go to Ustream and look up the video and it'll play again. So check out our live show. And the next time we have one, tune in and be a part of it.
0: Yeah, and again, you know, we normally would cover Smallville a lot more, as you know, in the past with our episodes. But again, the live show covers it ad nauseum. But again, that's not saying that the episode's boring or anything. It's really enjoyable. It's just, we have quite a bit of humorous tangents that episode goes on. So we thought we'd give this to you just a little bit more of a direct summary, in case you kind of forget something throughout all of our wild and crazy tangents that we have, which are hilarious. And honestly, if you guys listen to the episode, and you didn't get a chance to check out the live show, you're going to be cracking up laughing the whole time. I know Nico was having a laugh right the whole time.
1: Yeah, I was having a good time.
0: So yeah, it was great, and honestly... The one thing to remember with this episode, I'm going to throw this out here again, and I did say it in the live show, is that I think this is the first step to building up to an end to a bigger Justice League story. I really think this plot line with the Justice League has been structured in stages, and I think this one was the first stage in a bigger Justice League story. So I think we're going to get our fight scene at some point. We didn't get it here, but I think it's coming, and I think they're going to build up to something big. There's no way why they wouldn't do that, don't you think, Saudidedico?: so,
1: Oh no, I think that it's definitely coming, and the second half of this story in Icarus will be even better. It'll probably be when we look back on it, if they had combined these two episodes together, it may have been more what we were looking for when we hyped it as much as you and I had hyped it, you know, when we were talking about it. So I think, yeah, I think we're going to get that next level that we were looking for this week in that Icarus episode
0: well and then they have other justice league characters coming back even after that black canary is going to come back chloe right. of course is coming back so we might get the brawl when those characters come back as well yeah so we might not there, even get an icarus you back. what were you going to say
1: there's a lot coming down the line in the second half of the season and even in the two more episodes before the break yeah so I mean, Smallville's hitting on all cylinders. We fell prey to our own devices of hyping Patriot to be something that it ended up not being. If we had not been saying, oh, this is going to be amazing, we probably would have been perfectly happy with this episode and just said it was the next step along the way. But we had built it up to be the Absolute Justice episode, which was so amazing last year that we were let down. And that's why I think we all thought it was just a good episode, not a great episode.
0: Yeah, and one quick thing, I just wanna give props to Tom Welling for this whole thing. I know directing's not easy, and he was in this episode a ton. So I really give him props for all the work he had to do for this episode. He's probably running around like a crazy man with being a producer, or a director on this episode, and the star. So really gotta give him props for this. He's doing some great work and his directing gets better and better every time. And I can't wait to see if he's gonna have a future directing and what gonna come from that because i've just been really impressed with his work so i mean we gotta give the guy props absolutely so with that we're gonna move on to kind of an episode of a show that i might have someone give some props to supernatural with the episode clap your hands if you believe
1: While investigating crop circles, Dean is abducted by the creatures responsible, only to discover that they are fairies. They release him, but Dean soon discovers that the fairies, which only he can see, aren't letting go so easily.
0: This week's episode was actually pretty good. There's been episodes a bit better, but this was pretty good. Especially for this season which, you know, we've complained quite a bit about, and I really think what helped make this possible, this episode be good was that it was rated by long-time and veteran Supernatural writer, Ben Ulland. And what I love about Ben Ulland, I don't know if that's how to pronounce his name right. I have a ton of respect for the guy, so I'm really hoping I pronounce his name right. But the thing I love about him as a writer is that he understands the relationship between Sam and Dean as brothers, which kind of was proven through him being the writer on the last two episodes of season four, which we all know were those great episodes where the Winchester brothers turned against each other and had a pretty intense brawl. And at the same time, Ben Ulland, he's really good at making a script just plain fun, which he did here. And he's also proven his ability at making a script fun by writing the great Angel episode that we all know where Angel was turned into a puppet called Smile Time. And the great Firefly episode that I know is one of Nico's personal favorites at one of Adam Baldwin's best performances, the episode entitled "Jade's Town. And focusing on this episode of Supernatural, I really have to give Ben Alund props for answering our plea that we had in last week's podcast to have Sam and Dean exhibit the traditional squabbling that we expect from the Winchesters or any other relationship between brothers. But that being said, last week we also claimed it wouldn't be possible to pull off the squabbling that we've seen between the Winchester brothers in earlier seasons without Sam having a soul. However, Ben and Lund was able to work around this issue by constantly poking fun at Sam not having a soul through sarcastic comments from Dean and Sam shacking up with the female true believer who might have been abducted by aliens when he should have been searching for Dean who at that point in the episode was supposedly abducted by aliens. Again, Sam not having a soul still kind of annoyed me because he's a different character than what he was in the last five seasons, but at least in this episode, they made him entertaining and not this one-dimensional character that I think we've been seeing in the past couple of episodes. And going back a step to my mentioning of aliens, this week's episode had a great opening title sequence that parodied the (laughs) X-Files. Also, unlike this week's episode of Castle, the concept of aliens and abductions fit very well within the constraints of Supernatural. Through the writers going with the real theory that the bright lights that are characteristic of alien abductions that you've seen on shows like The X-Files were actually called fairy sightings by people that lived back in the Middle Ages. Continuing on this wavelength, the supernatural way of killing fairies by Dean stuffing them in a microwave until they exploded like a peep was simply badass. And speaking of Dean, Jensen Ackles' performance in this episode was an absolute laugh riot. Through his phone conversation with Sam when he got abducted, Close encounter! Close encounter! Close encounter? What kind? First? Second? They're after me! Third kind already? You better run, man. I think the fourth kind is a butt thing. Empathy, Sam! Empathy! And then we got this great scene of Dean in a diner bragging about how he went into his abduction, guns blazing, and then we got this great moment at the end of the episode where Dean attacked a little person who you believe to be a fairy.
1: Fight those fairies! Fight the fairies!
0: Yeah, this guy he attacks ends up being an assistant DA, which gets Dean into all sorts of trouble. Yeah, it was a riot. And in fact, all of Dean's interactions with fairies in this episode were downright hilarious. And with that, I would like to end my side of the discussion by saying that after several weeks of disappointment with Supernatural, it was really nice to end my Friday night smiling. So thank you, Bendy Ludd. Writer of Supernatural for giving us that satisfaction. And with that, Nico, I would get your thoughts on this somewhat surprising and enjoyable episode of Supernatural.
1: Exactly. Finally, a good episode of Supernatural. Yes. From the X Files opening, which I loved, that was outstanding, to the brothers actually making fun of each other and acting like the Winchester brothers of old, this episode was finally an episode I would not be embarrassed. If my friends walked in on me watching and said, oh, what's this? I thought Robert Picardo was yes. excellent as the UFO watcher conspiracy nut and the leprechaun. He was considered a leprechaun as the leader of the fairies this week. Right. If you're trying to place where you know Picardo from, he was the holographic doctor on Star Trek Voyager. He was the IOA committee representative in Stargate and Stargate Atlantis shows. And Dr. Death on our own ATA favorite, Castle, which is the me he brought in to work on Beckett's mom's case.
0: And another interesting tidbit about that, Robert Picardo played Jensen Ackles' character on Smallville, Jason Teague's father.
1: I did not remember that. That
0: was another thing, back in Season 7. Awesome. So that was an interesting twist there, too. I know you like to forget Jason Teague, but... He was as too. much as possible. Yeah.
1: <laughs> An excellent actor with over 150 credits to his name as a major supporting actor this week may have helped make this episode. One of the best yet. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not saying much this season, but I was happy with this episode and it seemed much more like the supernatural. We love.
0: Yeah. The big thing with me, I was sitting there. Actually, it was the night before this episode premiered. I was kind of laying in bed kind of having a little bit of rough time going to sleep, and I was thinking about things that could be done to fix Supernatural. And I was asking myself, I said, you know, I'm wondering what's happened to some of their good writers. You know, I've looked at some of the episode writers. I've not heard their names before. I've not recognized them from other episodes of watching Supernatural. And I said, what happened to Benny Lund? I really like his writing. He's written some great episodes. Why isn't he around? And sure enough, he wrote this episode and it was good. And that was huge. And really, if anyone's writing that show is listening to us, this episode should be a staple on how Sam and Dee's relationship needs to be written for the rest of the season with him not having a soul. Absolutely. That's the best were, way you could do it. Yeah,
1: the scenes where Sam was trying to figure out how to act that would be more human with a soul like were hilarious, especially the scene where he was it's like, I shouldn't laugh here, right? (laughs) And he's like, no. (laughs) That was great. And all those scenes when he was acting, trying to be a real boy, as Dean put it, those were great and really made us think of some of those mid-first season episodes, some mid-second season episodes where the guys were just going at each other and having a good time and making fun of each other or ripping on each other. And that is exactly what we called for last week, and that is exactly why I'm saying I like this episode.
0: And they need to keep it going. They need to keep doing this. Yes, they do. They
1: absolutely need to. Or they need to get his soul back right. once and for all, and then it'll be Sam, and we'll get this interaction without having to force it.
0: Plus, I don't know what it is, but I love the episodes where Dean gets cranky. Yeah. It's just amusing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sealy Booth, that's another reason why I love him. I love the episodes where he's cranky too. That's what makes these characters great. I don't know what's with both of these actors get when their characters get cranky, but I just love it. I think it's hilarious.
1: I actually saw a thing when I was looking for some uh, TV news the other day. I saw that a casting call had gone out on Vampire Diaries or something like that, and they were looking for a 20 to 30-year-old actor Who could play a rough and tumble kind of character that was both surly and strong and badass? And someone had said, Oh, you got to use, they said Dean Winchester, but just, uh, what's his real name? Jensen Ackles. Jensen Ackles. I was going to say exactly that. Yeah, they said Dean Winchester becomes a vampire, kills all the other vampires. Yeah. (laughs) It was great. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that show, but if, Dean Winchester showed up on it and killed all the vampires. Fight those fairies! Fight the
0: fairies! It'd be my new favorite show. Yeah, but, it would be. Yeah.
1: Anyway, getting back to Supernatural.
0: Yeah, I'm happy about this, Nico. I'm happy we got a good episode because I was really getting scared.
1: Yeah, you know, we had said last week that every week was getting worse and worse, and the only there were parts and couple episodes that we enjoyed, especially the alpha scene with the alpha vamp. We both said that that was probably up to that point, the best scene in the whole season. And I think it still stands as the best scene in the whole season, but this was the best episode so far.
0: I have to disagree with you. I think the best scene was when they pulled the one over on Crowley at the end of weekend at Bobby's.
1: I do stand corrected because the weekend at Bobby's is still the best episode. And yes, that is probably still the best scene.
0: I would say this is second place to weekend at Bobby's.
1: Yeah, well, I'd I'd almost forgot that Weekend at Bobby's happened this season because it was such an anomaly. Yes. But you're absolutely right. We commented on that, that it was almost like that was a season three or season four episode in Feel, that it could have been substituted anywhere along in the storyline, yeah, the timeline of this character, only that it had to happen after Crowley's deal with Bobby.
0: Or they could have come up with another reason.
1: Yeah, but I stand corrected. That is definitely the best episode and the best scene.
0: Well, the big thing about this was Michael, when he came over here to do the live show to my house, he was threatening to stop watching the show, saying that it wasn't the same show anymore, that they should almost give it a different title because it's not supernatural anymore. And at that point, and again, this is before we watched this episode, but I kind of agreed with him at that point. I felt bad saying this. And this episode was huge because it was a reminder that, yes, it still exists. That these characters in this relationship still exist and we haven't lost it totally. So I'm glad that Ben and Lund came in, who knows this show very well, that knows the characters very well because he's been around for a while. And I'm glad he came in and reminded us why we love these characters and why it worked and why this show is called Supernatural. So he really is the unsung hero of that show right now.
1: And I do want to mention that none of this criticism we're f- heaping out should fall on the actors. No. Because the actors are doing an excellent job in portraying the storylines that they are given. We just don't like the st- way the story is being told yeah. right now. And the characters of Dean and Sam, Jared Padalecki and Jetson Eccles, a- are doing a phenomenal job with what they're given. It's just we would like to see more of what we're used to with this show and and storylines that are more congruent with the characters. And they're doing the best they can to make those characters still live through the material they're given. I just think that the writers are failing them and giving them good scripts.
0: Well, and that's why we're getting angry on this podcast about the way the writers are handling this show. Because I love Jensen Ackles as an actor. And the fact that making him look bad they're giving him bad stuff to work with, that upsets me. Because he, and as well as Jared Padalecki, are too good of actors to get writing that's weak or stale. I don't think they deserve that. And Benny Lund did a great job of giving them the writing they deserve, and that needs to keep happening. And if they do have younger writers, Benny Lund and Kripke and maybe some other people who've had experience needs to come in and sit down and help these younger writers... Understand what's necessary to make an episode of The Supernatural work. Because I feel like they're borrowing writers from Vampire Diaries. And they're making this all teenage girl and frilly and emotions. And come on. This is a guy show. I mean, there's good looking guys that get the girls to watch it. But this is a guy action shoot 'em up show. To stop trying to go with CW's plan of women who kicks butt. And give us a real show here. Give us a man show. You're tucked away by yourself on Friday night. You're not going to badly reflect the CW network. Give us something with a big punch. Because we're going to be not have Smallville next year, and I don't want to lose Smallville knowing that Supernatural is going off the rails. So this can be brought back. Let's do this. Let's bring this show back. I agree. Okay, so you're down with that?
1: I am down with that.
0: So do you have anything else you want to say or...?
1: No, I think it's about time to move into the closing.
0: All right, yeah. Again, great episode of Supernatural. Really worth the watch. If you guys have stayed away from the show because of it being bad, give this episode a watch. It'll remind you to keep having faith in this show. So with that, we're going to close up this episode. And Nico, do you want to tell me what's going on next week? Because it's a little different.
1: Next week, due to the Thanksgiving hiatus, we're going to have a shorter episode with Chuck being the only show that's going to have a new episode. However... We are planning to use some of the extra time to discuss the two new shows that we've been watching this week with Hawaii Five O and No Ordinary Family.
0: So, with that, you can contact us in a variety of ways about your excitement over Fridge, Supernatural being good, whatever you want to talk to us about. You can do this by visiting our website at www.acrosstheairwaves.com. And on that website, you can access our email. Which is across the airways at gmail.com. Send us your questions or thoughts about any of the shows we cover or those trailers that came out that I talked about earlier in the episode or whatever. You can also access our Twitter at Across Airways. There's no the there, it's just Across Airways. And you can also hit up our Facebook page. You can like our Facebook page They get updates on TV schedules there. And also you can check out our YouTube page, which has all kinds of clips and comic con panels and previews of different movies and TV shows coming up as well as promos for Across the Airways made by our good friend Michael J. Petty that are really great and it's worth checking them out because they're very impressive he did some great work advertising the live show and they're all worth the watch they're up on our website and you can also check it out by visiting our YouTube page so I recommend doing that it's really great and also if you want to You can leave us a voicemail. We've got one, but we want to put the pressure on you guys to give us another one because it's just a really cool idea. So go ahead and give us one. So, Nico, what's that number again?
1: 773-809-3363. And with that, once
0: again, I'm Dan Schmidt.
1: And I'm Nico Reifsteig.
0: And until next week, we'll catch you on the airwaves.